The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to John 17, if you're not already there. Uh, When I was on my study week, Shades, when I was away a couple of weeks ago after Easter, I spent a lot of time thinking about you. Um, I, I want you to know that I consider myself the most blessed pastor on the planet. And I, I mean that. The, uh, when I'm afforded these opportunities to reflect and to think about you and here and being part of this body, the, the love and the joy that I feel, I don't know any other way to describe it other than as, as supernatural. It's, it's, a, it's a God-given love. The, the, the love that I have for you from God, as I reflected on it, I, I believe that it causes me to do all that I do as a pastor with one specific aim. Like, everything. I do it with, with one aim, and I tried to put it into words, and it's, it's this. I want you to know joy in the glory of God so that your joy makes his glory known. That's it. I mean, I I tell you all the time that I I quote to myself Philippians 1, verses 20 and 26 every single morning, and this is the essence of what's happening in there. Paul talks about continuing with the Philippians for their progress and joy in the faith, so that every time he comes to them, they may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus. I want... I want you to know joy in the glory of God so that your joy makes his glory known. Every prayer that I pray, every sermon I preach, every coffee meeting, every counseling session, every wedding, funeral, every laugh, every tear. Behind it all is is a desire. It's, It's what I think is my deepest love that I've got for you. I want you to know joy in the glory of God so that your joy makes his glory. No, that's how I strive to love you. I fail a lot, and you are very gracious. But that's, that's the aim. Why am I telling you that? Well, for starters, it's because it's not a hidden agenda. I hope it's a, it's a holy aim. I hope we see that in the the word today. I, I want you to know what my goal is, what my purpose is in pastoring, what I'm trying to do. But specifically, this morning I'm, I'm telling you all of this because I believe Jesus is doing the same thing in John 17. Jesus is, is here revealing to his disciples the deepest depth of his love for them. What, what it looks like, what it's, what it's aimed at. He's telling them why he has done everything he's done up to this point. He's going to mention that specifically, explicitly in verse 4. Why he's done everything that he's done up to this point. And he's telling them why he's about to do everything that he's going to do. And he does it by praying for them and praying for you. This prayer is for you. Like 
like a high priest who serves as a mediator on behalf of his people. Jesus prays like a high priest on the behalf of you and the behalf of me. You, you may even notice in your Bible, above John 17, I'm willing to bet there's a heading that says something along the lines of the high priestly prayer. It's been recognized for centuries that, that this prayer Christ prays is for us. What does he pray for us? Like, don't you want to know that? We, we read several scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about the fact that Christ prays for us. He intercedes for us. But what does Jesus pray for us? What is, what is his deepest desire for you? What's the aim of his love? Like, there's a song that we sing all the time. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. How does he love if somebody asked you to explain what you're singing about, how does he love you? What's, what's the deepest, if you dig down to the bottom, what's, what's the deepest depth of his love? What? I think he reveals it in his prayer. So the question is, what is the deepest prayer of our high priest? I think we see it together, beginning in verse 1. So read with me. John 17 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, okay, pause right there. I know, killer breakneck pace so far, right? When Jesus said these words, in other words, everything he said in chapters 13 to 16, don't forget the setting of where we're at in the Gospel of John. Jesus has been at his final meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross, from chapter 13 all the way up to this present point. And he's been giving them instructions. He's been pouring out his heart, giving instructions to them about how they're going to live, how they're going to make it once he's no longer physically present with them. And now, we're making a shift into 17, and all of 17 is a prayer. Now, on the heels of his instruction, before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane for private prayer, before that, he prays where his people can hear. This prayer is meant to be heard. That's why he prayed it in front of them. That's why John recorded it for us. I, I do this with my children. So I give my children instruction all the time, trying to teach them how it is that they should live. But at the end of the day, I pray. And I don't, I don't always succeed at this, but I try every day to pray where they can hear. Pray in their rooms with them before they go to bed. Pray you know, over meals. Pray in the morning. Pray whenever. I try to pray where they can hear. Because here's the reality. They may be able to ignore my instruction but they will not be ignorant of my intercession. I'm resolved on that. And I want them to know my heart's deepest desires for them. And they may not always catch that amidst instruction, but I hope they catch it amidst my intercession. I want them to know what I'm asking God Almighty to do in them and through them. I don't try to do this with my children. I try to do this with you, Shades. Like This is one of the reasons that I pray every Sunday before we open this word. I pray before we open this word because I believe that if we open this word without the help of the Holy Spirit of God, we're wasting our time. 
So we want to pray, and we want to ask for God to illumine this word through the power of his spirit. But I also pray because I want you to know my deepest desires for you. What, what I'm aiming at, what I'm asking God to do. So I pray where you can hear. And so does Jesus. Three times in the Gospel of John, we've already passed the other two. Three times in the Gospel of John, we are given the very words that Jesus prays. And I would argue that every single time we're given those words because he wants us to hear them. In fact, that's rather explicit the first time he prays where the words are recorded. Back in John chapter 11, verses 41 to 42, listen to what Jesus says. It says, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Sound familiar? Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I'm praying not just for communication between, I know that that's there. I know that you hear me. But I'm doing this where it can be heard. Because there's something I want the people around me to grasp, to get. And that's what's going on. Jesus is doing the same thing in John 17. Lifting up his eyes and praying where his people can hear. Because he wants us to hear his deepest prayer for us. For you. We need to hear this. I, I read a a lot this week about different people's opinions throughout history concerning this prayer and the depth and the gravitas and the way that it, it empowered people through their lives. The, um, the, the, the Scottish reformer, John Knox, he had this prayer, John 17, read to him every day of the final months of his life. The, the English Puritan, Thomas Merton, he preached 45 sermons on this prayer. Don't worry. I didn't get any ideas. Maybe four or five, but not 45. Marcus Rainsford, I have his, his book. He's an Irish preacher. He wrote a 450-page exposition of this prayer. And the title of it is Christ Prays for His Own. Everybody agrees this prayer is for us meant to be heard by us. What is the deepest prayer of our high priest? Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The hour's come. We've been talking about that phrase all throughout this gospel since chapter 2. Jesus had this, this coming hour that the gospel of John has constantly been pointing forward to. It's the hour of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. All of that is captured together within this hour. And Jesus says, that hour is here. Like, it is here now. It's arrived. It's time. So, Father, I pray Notice, the sovereign plan of God is about to be executed. And that is not a disincentive for Christ to pray. It's an incentive. Pray that your will be done. That's what he's praying. Christ, Christ says, the hour has arrived. So, Father, now that it's here, hear my deepest request, my deepest plea, my deepest prayer. What is it? Glorify 
me. Is that what you were expecting? All this talk about Christ prays for his own. This is his prayer for us. And what is his request, his petition? Glorify me, glorify the Son. This is the central petition of the entire prayer. Like everything else in chapter 17 undergirds this, serves this, points to this. This is where the prayer begins and this is where the prayer ends. Father, glorify your Son. This is Christ's deepest prayer for us? I don't know about you, but it it sounds like it sounds like it's for him. Does it not? Like, like this prayer sounds like it's all about him, all about his glory. It does not sound like a prayer for us at all. In fact, most commentators divide this prayer into three sections. In the first section they entitled, Jesus prays for himself. Then Jesus prays for his disciples. Then Jesus prays for those future believers who will believe in him. And they're There's something to be said for that outline, but I am arguing that this entire prayer as a whole is a prayer for us. And yet verses 1 through 5 seem to be a prayer for his own glory. How can I say this is a prayer for us? This is Christ's deepest prayer for you. A prayer meant to display the depths of his love for us. A prayer to transform the deepest depths in us. How how can that be? Those are the questions that I want us to dive into and explore for the rest of this morning and next week. I, I want us to see how Christ's prayer, for his own glory, I want us to see how that prayer displays the deepest depths of his love for us in order to transform the deepest depths in us. There's two things that I want us to see. First one, this week, what we're going to do for the rest of this morning. How does Christ's prayer display the deepest depths of his love for us? This week is going to be tough sledding, people. We're going to be digging into some deep, doing some deep theological work You may find yourself at various moments thinking, what in the world does this have to do with my life? Hang with me. It changes everything. And next week, it's going to be nothing but about that. It's going to be, next week's sermon will be nothing but the implications of what we see this week. We're going to talk about, that's the second thing, how how does that love transform the deepest depths in us? Got the map. Know where we're going. Hang with me. We're going to do some deep intra-Trinitarian theology here. But here's my hope. Here's my hope. My, my hope is that you will see the depth, the breadth, the beauty, and the necessity of it. I think that oftentimes when we talk about the Trinity, that God is three persons, yet one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think that we often just brush that off as an old dated doctrine and what I want to tell you is that it is beautiful it is glorious and everything about your salvation and eternal life and joy depends on it the Bible and the gospel fall apart without it 
I want us to see that this morning and to see the beauty of it. So, first, I want us to see how Christ's prayer displays the deepest depths of his love. Would you see it? Feel it. Know the depths of his love. Too often we stop at the surface. We'll talk more about that next week. I'm going to have to resist the temptation to jump into next week's stuff. But I want us to see, feel the depths of it. So to see this, we need to get technical for just a second about the structure of these verses. Okay, I believe that they form what's called a chiasm. Don't worry if you don't know what that is. We're going to go into it. A chiasm is when the first and final parts of a text mirror one another. First and final parts mirror one another. And then you take a step in. So the second and the next to last. They mirror each other. A step in and they mirror each other. A step in and they mirror each other until you get to the center. And the purpose of a chiasm is to emphasize what's at the center. It's, it's like bold, underlined, italicized. It's, it's, it's the crux of everything that's unfolding. A chiasm can be huge, an entire story. The entire book of Esther is a chiasm. You should read it and try and find it. It's pretty amazing. And it all turns on the plot twist right in the middle, and that's what it's emphasizing. But a chiasm doesn't have to be huge, like a whole book. It can also be very small, just a few lines. That's what we see here in John 17. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 1. It begins with a petition. Glorify your son. Go down to verse 5, how it ends. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beginning and end, glory to the Son. If we step one more step in, go back up to verse 1. Look at the last part of verse 1. Glorify the Son. That the Son may glorify you. Go to verse 4. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do which puts verses 2 and 3 at the center, which are both concerned with the giving of eternal life to the people of God. Put that together. The glory of the Son being glorified by the Father. The Son glorifying the Father, all leading pushing us, pointing to your eternal life. It's, it seems to me, it seems that the Father glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father, which this gospel has shown us time and time again, happens in and through the Holy Spirit. If you want to look at that, go back to John chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. That's an essential text, but it's all over the place. Father It's all about the glory of the Son. Son, all about the glory of the Father. Happens in and through the Holy Spirit. It is a Trinity conspiracy for glory. And it it seems to me that the triune God, being all about His own glory, is somehow the greatest thing for you and for me. That, That somehow this is the very thing that gives us life eternally. That somehow, 
Jesus praying about his commitment and the Father's commitment to their mutual glory at the beginning and at the end surrounds what it's accomplishing in the middle, eternal life of his people. It seems to me that this is the deepest depths of his love. I want to see how. And here's, here's one of the reasons I'm, I'm slowing us down, sitting on this today. I want us to see how because I talk about this all the time. And I talk about it all the time because the Bible talks about it all the time. God glorifies God. I talk about that all the time, that God is God-centered. All about his own glory. And here's my fear. My fear is that when you hear me talk that way, Or even when you hear the Bible talk that way, that's really my bigger fear. When you hear the Bible talk that way, my fear is that you don't feel that as loving. God, being God-centered, doesn't feel loving to me. You should be centered on me. That's what would be loving, right? My fear is that when you read things like in Exodus 14 where God tells Moses, I'm saving my people out of Egypt for my glory, that that doesn't feel loving to you. My fear is that when you read uh, in places like Isaiah 48 and verse 11, where God is telling the prophet Isaiah why he does what he does, why he saves his people, why he refines his people, why he keeps his people. He says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. I will not give my glory to another. My fear is that you would read that and not feel that as loving. My fear is that we would explore places like we have in this gospel. John chapter 11 Jesus hears that his good friend Lazarus is ill and he purposefully doesn't go so that Lazarus dies. Why? Jesus says it in John chapter 11 and verse 4. This sickness does not end in death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you see the mutual glorification there? The Son of God may be glorified. For the glory of God the Father. That's why I'm not going. My fear is that you hear that and you think about situations in your own life where Jesus has been late or not shown up and it has put you through massive amounts of pain and you cannot possibly feel that as loving. This is, this is my fear. That even when we read from the very lips of Jesus here in John 17, that his deepest prayer is for the Father to glorify him, that he may glorify the Father. My fear is that you don't feel that as loving. I want us to feel it. Not just as loving, but as the deepest love possible. A bedrock of your hope and your salvation so that when you read these texts that we've just talked about, your heart rejoices. Your heart says yes. When I read about God glorifying God like right here in John 17 off the lips of Jesus, 
My heart rejoices. I want you to see that his words about his own glory are the deepest display of his love for you. They are the deepest display of his love for you. I want you to see that at the chiastic heart of this prayer for his glory is the greatest gift of love for you, eternal life. I want you to see the deepest prayer of your high priest display the deepest love for you. So, we've got the general structure in place. Let's look a little bit closer. Christ begins praying for the Father to glorify him now that his hour has arrived. Now that I'm headed to the cross, through that, through death, John's gospel is really the only gospel that makes this emphasis so clear that Jesus going to the cross is him being glorified, is him being lifted up. Jesus prays, through this hour, through my death, my resurrection, my ascension, glorify me. I know that he means through all of that because his prayer begins with the arriving of the hour and it ends with him being glorified in the very presence of the Father. So he's praying all the way through this hour, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, Father, glorify me through it all. What does he mean? To glorify, to, to glorify something or someone is to hold up, to, to point to, to reveal its beauty, its goodness, its greatness. My children are great glorifiers. All children are. We come into this world as naturally worshiping beings, holding things up as good, great, and glorious. You come over to my house right now, and Asher, a little boy who's almost two, he will run up to you and he will begin to bring you books. He is like all into books right now, and he'll give you books and he'll be like, hey, let's read this one. Let's do. I mean, he doesn't say that because he can't talk as well as I can talk because clearly I've got better vocabulary skills going on. Um, but this is what he does. He has one. Sorry, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He has one uh, that is, you know, animal sounds. Like, what does this say? And what does that say? And what does the horse say? Nay, all that kind of stuff. When you ask him what the goat says, he screams. Ah! Because I've shown him videos of the screaming goats. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look it up. You will have the best day ever. Anyway, he'll bring you books. And he will sing to you in all of his baby babble the praises of these books, how great and amazing they are. And if you refuse to read from him, he will curse you with all of his baby curse words. I know that's what he's doing. Cursing's not about vocabulary, people. It's about intent. We all know what he means. <laughs> the point, the point is that to glorify something is to hold forth point to, to reveal its beauty, its greatness, its beauty. Jesus prays for the Father to show forth his beauty, his goodness, his greatness, his glory to the world. Do it through my death, my resurrection, my ascension, my victory. Jesus' prayer for the Father to glorify him is, is him praying, show the world who I really am. Reveal me. Show them beauty, goodness, greatness through my death, 
Show it to them through raising me. Show it to them. Put who I really am on display. Is that not the very heart of what he says in verse 5? When he prays to be glorified with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Who I have always been. Even though people haven't seen it right now. Who I've always been with you. With the glory that I had with you in your presence before the world even began. Show that to them. Our glory is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, selfless, self-glorifying community. Father glorifying the Son, Son glorifying the Father, in and through the Holy Spirit, God, God-centered, self-centered, and yet selfless. <sighs> like if that isn't mind-melting glory, I don't know what it is. I got nothing left for you. The God is completely self-centered and yet selfless in the process. Because he is Father, Son, and Spirit who selflessly seek one another's glory. Jesus says, let's show that to the world. Father, glorify me. Show the world who I am. Why? He says it in verse 1. Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. This is not a self-seeking glory. Selfless. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. Show the world who I truly am so that I can show the world who you truly are. This is, this is precisely what Jesus prays. Father, the hours come. Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. In verse 4, Jesus tells us his entire life up to this point, that's what it's been about. Glorifying God, revealing God, showing God to the world. He says in verse 4 that he has accomplished all the work that has been given to him by the Father in order to glorify him. I've taught in order to glorify you. I've healed in order to glorify you. I've loved in order to glorify in order to show the world who you are. I mean, we read not that long ago in John 14 and verse 9, Jesus saying, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Because this is what I do. I do everything for his glory to show him and what he is like to you. And now Christ has one more work to finish in order to show us the Father's fullness. And he will finish it. John 19 and verse 30 is coming when he will announce that it has been finished. That's what he's praying for. Glorify me through death, resurrection, and ascension. Show the world who I am that I might show the world who you are. Glorify me in the cross, in my death, so I can show the world who you are. So I can show them your holiness, your righteousness, so I can show them your holy right wrath against sin. So I can show them that you're a good judge who will not sweep sin under the rug, but you will deal with it justly. Throughout this prayer, Jesus is going to pray to his Father as Holy Father, Righteous Father. This is the Father he aims to glorify and to reveal. He goes to the cross to display the holiness and righteousness of his Father. To show that he is a just judge against sinners. Romans 3.26 says that explicitly. That in the cross God is revealed as just. 
But Romans 3.26 doesn't stop there. The cross doesn't just reveal God as just, holy, righteous, but it reveals him as the justifier. Christ goes to the cross, yes, to display the holiness and the righteousness of God, but he also goes to the cross to display how the Father lavishes his love on sinners. Lavishes his love upon us. For God's righteous wrath is poured out upon Christ as our substitute in order that we might be saved. Christ goes to the cross to display the selfless, self-sacrificial love of God as he justifies us, deals with our sin, makes us right with God, turns sinners into saints. You are a saint because of what Christ has done on the cross. Through his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ displays the full beauty of the Father's character. This is how he glorifies the Father. Do you see what's happening through Christ's hour? The Father's glorifying him, revealing who he is to the world. He truly is the Christ. He truly is God in the flesh. As he always said, he's revealing that through his death and resurrection. And Christ is glorifying the Father. Revealing to the world who he truly is. Not just a righteous, just judge, but a God who sacrifices to save and lavishes love upon us. Not just just, but the one who justifies. Father glorifying the Son. Son glorifying the, the, the Father in and through the Holy Spirit. The triune God is putting on display to you and to me the glory he had within himself before the world existed. A selfless, self-centered, self-sacrificial love. He's putting it on, on display. And this is the deepest depths of his love for us. See it in verses 2 and 3. John 17, verse 2. Since... Pause right there. I don't like that translation. I don't think it's great. The Greek word right there is kathos, which means just as or even as. Since makes it sound causal. Just as, even as is a comparison. There's a comparison being made here. Jesus is asking for the Father to glorify him so that he might glorify the Father just as. Like we've done this before, Father. You've glorified me. I've glorified you. We've done that. That's a pattern. I'm about to give you a comparison, an example of what that has looked like. So he says, glorify me, just as I, and I will glorify you, just as you have given him, that's the Son, you've given the Son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Right there, Jesus is just outlining the redemptive plan of God. God, you've glorified me in the past by giving me authority over all flesh. You, you glorified me by raising me up above all. Why? So that I might glorify you by using that authority to give eternal life to your people. Do you see that in the text? 
Jesus says, that's always been the plan. That's what we've set up. You glorified me by putting me above all flesh so that I can glorify you by giving eternal life to your people. That's been the plan. And now Jesus prays, let's execute that plan. Just like we planned it. You glorify me, reveal to the world that I am the one above and over all so that I can glorify you. Show the world who you are and give eternal life to your people. Glorify me that I might glorify you in giving your people eternal life. In showing them who you are. He equates those two things. Do you see that? I want to show them who you are that they may have eternal life. Those things are equated. That gets really explicit in verse 3. Look at it in verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you. You're revealed to them. They see you for who you are. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, Shades, is not merely life that lasts forever. The teaching of Scripture is clear. Everybody gets life that lasts forever. That's that's not what eternal life is. Everybody gets life that lasts forever, but not everybody gets eternal life. Some get eternal death. What's the difference? Jesus says this is the difference, knowing God. Eternal life doesn't mean life at its longest. It means life at its fullest. Life at its deepest. Life at its highest. Life at its richest. What what is that kind of life? This eternal, full, rich, deep, forever life is that we know the only true God. And you can only know him through Jesus Christ, whom he has sent to reveal himself to us. This is why, I hope you're following it, this is why God being all about his own glory is the deepest possible way he can love you. When Christ prays for the Father to glorify him so that he may glorify the Father, he is praying for your eternal, full, rich deep life. He's praying, let's reveal who we are. The triune God to your people that they may know and enjoy us forever. You reveal who I am. I'll reveal who you are. Bring your people to you so that they know you and that is eternal life, full life forever. That they know joy in your glory, your beauty, your goodness, your greatness. This is the good news of the gospel. That you would know full, eternal, good, true life, rich life in God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 calls the gospel the gospel of the glory of Christ. The good news about the glory of Christ. This is the gospel. 
It's good news that you get the glory of Christ to enjoy forever. It goes on further to define that in verse 6. And it defines it in this way. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, he's revealed something, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says right there that God reveals to us the knowledge of who Christ is. And when we see who Christ is in Jesus' face, we see who God is. See the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father glorifying the Son, Son glorifying the Spirit, in and through, uh, glorifying the Father in and through the Holy Spirit so that you might know Him and have joy in Him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That's eternal life that you get God in all of His glory through Christ. Is there anything better that He could give you? Like, just try to parse that one out for just a moment. Logically, is there anything better that God could give you than himself? Is there anything greater that he could give you than himself? Is there anything better, anything more beautiful? No. Hear the deepest depth of the love of God, Shades. God has loved you so much that he will not give you any less than the best. And the best is himself. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. For we are his portion and he is our prize. How does he love you? He gives you him. This this is the deepest prayer of our high priest. His deepest prayer for you that he wants you to hear. The deepest depths of his love for you is that he gives you himself in all his glory for your joy forever. For your eternal life. That is the love of God for you. This is This is the deepest prayer of Christ. This is how he begins his prayer. It's how he ends his prayer. Skip down to verse 24. At the very end of his prayer, Jesus says, Father, I desire. Here's my desire. Here's the deepest depth of this prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. This is what I want. I want them to see my glory. Why? Because that's the most loving thing he can do for you. Just keep reading. I want them to be with me to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. Before the foundation of the world, God, you glorified me because you loved me. And now I give your glory, my glory to them to behold forever because I love them. That's the connection he makes in the final verse. Verse 26. I have made known to them your Name. I've glorified you. I've shown them your glory. I've made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known through all of forever. When they look at me, they will behold your glory in my face. I'm going to continue to make your glory known to them. Why? So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I've shown them your glory and I'm going to show it to them from now to eternity. Why? Because this is how I love them. I give them myself. Me in them. They get me. They get God. This, this is the deepest prayer of our high priest. He gives you himself. 
in all of his glory for your full forever joy in him. This is my deepest prayer for my children, Shave. This is what I make sure that they hear every night or try to make sure that they hear every night. I pray that they will know joy in the glory of God. That'll be their deepest joy. I want that for them more than I want them to live long lives, more than I want them to have families of their own or any type of business success or an education, more than any of those things. I want them to know that my deepest prayer for them, my deepest love for them, is that they would know joy in the glory of God forever. That is eternal, full, deep, rich life. That's my prayer for you, Shades. I told you at the beginning, my deepest prayer for you my, my deepest display of love for you that I could possibly muster up is I want you to know joy in the glory of God. I want, I want our knee-jerk reaction to be that of Moses in Exodus 33, 18, that if God were to offer to give us anything, we would say like Moses would say, show me your glory. I want it more than anything. And if your glory is not going to go with me from the middle of this desert, I'm going to stay in the desert. I don't even want the promised land if it means I get it without you. I want you. I want our hearts to leap when we read Isaiah 48 and verse 11 that God does what he does for his own sake. For his own sake he does it so that his name won't be profaned. His glory he will not share with another. I want us to say, yes. I want God to be committed to his own glory because this is the greatest way that he can love me. I want us to be the kind of church that, that when we weep like Mary and Martha do in John chapter 11 over the death of their brother, when we weep and when we don't understand, we still cling to Christ. We say, I don't know how this situation could possibly be for your glory or for my joy, but you say it is and you're good, and so I cling to you and I believe it, and we will watch him display himself as the resurrection and life that he is. I want us to hear this prayer of Christ in John 17. The Father would glorify him so that he would glorify the Father. That we would one day get to be with him where he is to see his glory. And our hearts say yes. That prayer will get answered. The prayer of Christ in John chapter 17 is answered in Revelation 22 and verse 4. Which promises that one day we will be where he is and that we will see his face. This is the deepest depth of the love of God for you. He has given himself in all his glory for your joy. This is the deepest prayer of our high priest. The deepest depth of his love. Oh, how he loves us. He gives us himself. Amen.